0: us.
1: Hi Ferret. Hi Flame. Hi Fandom. Welcome
2: everyone to season two of Pot on the Suit. A huge thank you to our cover artist for this episode, Amanda. Make sure you click the links below the cover art to check out
0: their social media. We are excited to bring you even more fandom fun over this season and we'll be asking for your input just as much if not more so than in season one. This is your fandom podcast, and we are trying to keep that front and center each week. We're looking to answer questions that you've asked us and cover topics that you've nominated. We're always paying attention to what we're reading in servers, on Tumblr and Twitter, and in our DMs. And today's episode is about something that comes up frequently, and it's this idea of BNF, a big name fan
2: we've invited two well-known creators and friends of the pod to join us for this kickoff episode pineapple bread is our interview guest to talk about her fandom experience and her artwork and then flame and i are both joined by saber cmc to have an expanded let's talk segment about the nature of being a known name in fandom spaces
0: you will be shocked to hear that the conversation between myself ferret and saber went a little long so (laughs) Minis will be brief this week. We'll check in with Tropoff and get your events forecast, but the bulk of the episode is the interview and our convo.
2: Even though there's not a lot on the segment list, there's still a lot of pod to be had. So let's get started.
0: Hello, landia I am here today with one of the fandom's favorite artists, Pineapple Bread. Pineapple, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is incredibly exciting. So before we get to talking about anything else, and I I have questions both from me and from Ferret, I would love to hear your fandom origin story. How, like, not just Marvel, but, like, when did you start becoming a fandom person? Oh, uh, probably middle school, honestly. I am a fandom old i've been around for most of the uh
3: big fandom wars and changes so i haven't always been active in fandom and it usually takes quite a lot for me to want to create work for fandom but i have been around for quite a while
0: so what are what were the fans some of the fandoms you were in before marvel i was
3: really into um the Star Trek movies the AOS movies I was really into Eames and Arthur from Inception I was into Charles and Eric from uh X-Men First Class I was into Clint and Coulson back in the 2012 days and Steve and Tony right from the get-go from Iron Man actually didn't even cast Steve yet and I was already sold
0: okay okay tell me how (laughs) talk to me about that
3: so um I have all so Iron Man kind of made me a super Robert Downey Jr. fan Iron Man 1 so I saw that movie and I was instantly like yes he's amazing I love him so I dug through his entire filmography oh yeah Sherlock was another one the Sherlock movies with Robert Downey Jr. that was another fandom for me and um I decided that like oh I just love him so And the Civil War comics had just come out a couple of years previously. And that was actually my first introduction to Marvel comic books. I read the Civil War arc, which is not the best idea. I don't recommend reading that first, but um, that was what got me into Steve and Tony as a pairing and they didn't even cast Chris Evans at the time.
0: So when they cast Chris Evans, what were your feelings? I was skeptical,
3: honestly, because I saw Fantastic Four and I was like, oh, you want Johnny Storm as Steve Rogers? I don't know how I feel about that. And at the time, I remember it was down to him and Jensen Ackles and John Krasinski. I didn't want John Krasinski. I wanted Jensen Ackles as Steve Rogers. But I'm glad now, very glad now
0: that it was Chris Evans. Yeah, I wanted... I wanted Jensen Ackles as Clint. That was the one I wanted. Oh, so, that was a popular fan casting. That would have been great. Yeah, I would have really enjoyed that. But that's huh, water under the bridge and in our fandom hearts. So, so you are like an OG Stony, that is both like a comic and movie hybrid.
3: Um, I want to say I'm an OG Stony. I was not active in fandom at all until Infinity War.
0: Okay, sorry. I meant emotionally, but you were yes, totally right. so. So, what got you? So, what was the trick? The trigger for Infinity War?
3: Oh, it's really simple. It's the beard.
0: I mean, friend, <laughs> you are you are not alone in this. So is so at this point, I I came into the fandom in 2019 and encountered your art really quickly, and it. I was I think you were in the throes of doing the tattoo AU when I kind of discovered. Um, and fell in love with your work. Oh, thank you. So when you encountered the beard and was inspired to begin to create um is is how we know your art now and what it was then is that are they pretty similar or was there a lot of evolution? Can you talk to me through that process?
3: Uh there has definitely been some evolution in my art especially in style so I had been uh, working in a specific style in the past because it is what I wanted my work to look like but it was very very labor intensive and it would take me like a ridiculous amount of time to finish anything upwards of 20 hours usually at a time so I've been streamlining streamlining that process lately and uh, I'm not sure how noticeable the difference is but especially in the last couple of months that's been moving more in my work where i can work a lot faster but it looks a little
0: bit different okay and what kind of so i struggle with stick figures and i'm <laughs> scared to even play pictionary because i'm so bad at visually representing what i want to do so can you unpack that a little bit more about style is it like in technique is there a different medium you use Oh How, sure. Help me understand a little bit more because I'm an idiot.
3: No, you're not. <laughs> but um, it is sort of like work. So to me, style is working in the way I feel most comfortable. And if I can push it in a way where it, where an, a piece of art looks the way I want it to, then that's great. But it's usually about comfort. I have carpal tunnel, so I never want to push myself too far physically, but the older style that I've been working in, the style that you see in the earlier tattoo AU drawings, like uh, the first pink Steve one and the Tony ones, those were extremely labor intensive and it would take a lot just to finish something. And it became a point where I can only post once a week because it just took so damn long. But um, it the style evolves because I, I'm more familiar with these characters so I can draw them a lot faster and I can draw them in a specific way now.
0: That makes total sense. And then it, I would imagine I mean you draw so many AUs whether they're a series or they are um you know one-offs like as listeners as we're recording this there is a quite of a uh, quite a Silver Fox Steve vibe happening um in the in the fandom ether. Um so I would imagine kind of getting those characters in your head and what they're going to look like in the thing you're creating is also faster now too.
3: Sometimes they just come out the way that they look like um, I would be drawing and it would be a sudden thought in my head like he will look better this way he will look better with longer hair he will look better with shorter hair should I shave the sides of his head it would just come to me as I draw and it would show in the drawing as I shift I would have like 10 different layers of a sketch of his hair before I decide on one, whichever one looks best. And that's usually how I end up designing things. I don't really have a preset plan most of the time. So that's why for the uh, Silver Fox Steve, there are I think three versions of him that I did before I decided whichever one that I liked best for which AU.
0: That's so fascinating. I it's like, I mean, the idea of layers are just like drafts with writers. And I, I don't think we, you know, talk to each other enough about that process. It's true
3: because la- like the layers, the beautiful thing about digital art is that you can have layers and you can delete whichever layers that you want. And like uh, traditional work, which
0: sometimes you can't even erase. Yeah, that was always art class in school uh, back in the eighties. Um, erasers were just, they were never my friend. So I went with the word, the words where I could always use white out was really how it was great. Cause I went to, I started in school when we were like word processors were still too expensive for most schools. Um, so I typed my homework in first and second grade on my mom's old typewriter. Um, but the, to kind of go back to the idea of characterization. Um, I am fascinated with this idea that you create it as you're creating. And I know that sounds nuts, but th- that that sound, that might sound crazy that I'm fascinated with that. But so many writers, and I am definitely one of these, I play around with ideas in my head forever, often, before I sit down and type. And then events happen and plot points kind of happen. But I know who the characters are before I start typing. I can't create them as I'm going. So that idea that you can is magical to me. <laughs> like, it's just so cool sounding that you can just kind of play around with what they look like and then therefore create who they are as you do it. That's amazing.
3: Sometimes it's a team effort too because I might post one character first and then people will be like, oh, how about this for Tony? Or how about this for Steve? And how about this for other characters? And um, I, if it's a great idea, I want to be able to incorporate it later on. As I go, as uh, the universe expands, kind of. It's it's so the tattoo AU has been a world building exercise for me for the past year and a half, where it just keeps growing. And a lot of the tattoos on a lot of these characters were input from people on Tumblr and Twitter, and a lot of these ideas came from them too. So it's really a collaborative
0: effort too. That's fascinating. So in terms of collaboration, I know you you offer your work up for Marvel Trump's Hate and some other things like that. Do you work with writers in ever in how you're creating these characters to kind of word and, and draw, or are they separate entities to you?
3: So for designs, I am always willing to incorporate collaboration for designs. Like I feel like a lot of people might have a visual idea that I might not have thought of, but in terms of very personal projects like the Tattoo you, I would, I usually keep the, the core of the characters to myself and how I would characterize them.
0: That makes total sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think it's similar for people who collab uh, on a regular basis, like the pieces that we kind of keep to ourselves and the pieces that we don't. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. So speaking of the Tattoo AU, and I'm shifting gears a little bit now, um, the, your name is fairly synonymous with the Tattoo AU. I think to a lot of people. Um, And like I said, off mic, your style is very distinctive and it's very easy to see. And when somebody, when you share art on Twitter inevitably four of my Discord servers become full of squeeing over (laughs) new do pineapple art. Um, And people just kind of go on about how wonderful it is. And so I just want to like call a spade a spade here. Like you're kind of a name in fandom. Um, Is that weird for you?
3: That's amazing, honestly. I had no intention, I guess, of ever uh, reaching, the, um, reaching the audience that I do, but the Steven Tony fandom has always been so so welcoming and so encouraging, so supportive that it really drove me to create more. And I guess the more I create, maybe it'll generate more attention.
0: Yeah, it's that kind of cycle where you have to do it. And I know you've done cons in the past um and so you've gotten to meet some of us in person yes in that way or does our enthusiasm transfer from the screen to the in-person
3: very often yes and it's it's always such a joy to be able to meet uh people in fandom i've had like hour-long conversations at my table before with people from fandom and we'll just complain about end games each other we'll just talk about <laughs> things it's it's just amazing i love it i i really miss conventions it's Uh, I started off being very anxious about conventions because I have, you know, like social anxiety or whatever. But uh, the more conventions I did, the better I became about them because everybody was always so nice. And it just became really amazing to meet like-minded people.
0: Yeah, so many of us feel that way. And I know last year when we talked to some of the listeners about what they were going to miss about cons, it was often that camaraderie the uh, the ability to to be in the same room with other people talking about this thing that we love that normally none of us say these words out loud we, we say them in typing uh, or in drawing and that's kind of it we don't get to sit around and say the say the phrase well steve and tony feel this way out loud um and it's a real gift it's a real privilege it
3: really is and to have the and to know that you're in a safe space where people think the way that you do even if you might not agree on pairing or how these pairings work is still really amazing that you can be open about these things for some reason fandom has sort of been like everybody's dirty little secret so many of us are in fandom around the world but nobody really wants to talk about it publicly for some reason so just to have that space where you know it's safe to do so is incredible
0: yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons we started the pod was to give more people more spaces to talk about it. So obviously we agree. Um, but in terms of, I've, I've found in talking to some other people and and later on in this episode, Ferret and Saber and I are going to cover this a little bit more. Um, but the people knowing who you are and having a brand as it were, is sometimes a double edged sword. Um, is, is, has it been that case for you? Or sometimes the The pressure to create or people having very strong opinions about your art, has that cut negatively for you or has at any point in time?
3: Uh, Yeah, it has. I've had to turn off the anonymous messaging feature on Tumblr for that exact reason. And um, there have been cases where people get very angry at me about specific things. They might not like whatever topic it is I'm talking about. They might not like Uh, the work I'm doing but it doesn't really matter in the long run I'm not making it for them I'm making it for me
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I wish I could keep that it's it's a struggle for me to keep that in mind sometimes um because it just feels their their anger feels so personal in a way that I know it's not but sometimes it gets very it gets hard
3: yeah that's definitely true because they try to come at you in very personal ways but and it's usually an avalanche it's never just one it's it's always a it's always a group but um in in the end it's really the it's it's really about how how you prioritize fandom if it's if it comes in the way of your mental health then of course it's not worth it but if you feel like your love for these characters can push beyond the negativity then it's worth it to just keep going and to create these things that bring you so much joy
0: I'm going to print that on, uh, on a piece of paper and put it next to my desk because it's something I need a lot of reminding of. We talked a little bit offline about how Discord isn't really your thing. There's a lot of creators who talk about, you know, creating for the community or create, and we use the word community a lot on this pod and I know on Discord, uh, which isn't necessarily something that translates outside of Discord. So I'm really curious, how, how do you describe your relationship with fandom? is community a word you would use? I do think there is a great community
3: in the fandom and it is uh, very much a community in that we all love the same things. We all wanna talk about the same things, but it's getting harder and harder now to feel that sense of community because Twitter doesn't really offer that. Twitter is more of a one-on-one response. And these days I'm not so often on Tumblr because of a lot of reasons, but... um, it is harder now to find that sort of community, but I am very grateful for the
0: big audience that I do get. That makes sense that it's a, it's like a both and kind of thing. And I know for folks who came through stuff like LiveJournal um, and even people who are really active on Dream With now, they, they wish, they miss a lot of that level of like a combination of a message board <laughs> and, a, and a one-on-one conversation and kind of how things went. We don't really have that in terms of where fandom is the most active these days. So that's, uh, I think for for people for whom discord does not work for any number of reasons, there's not a lot of other other options to make and build a lot of relationships easily without a whole lot of hatred at the same time. Is that a fair statement or is that overstating it, do you think?
3: No, that's very true because I just keep thinking about something that Saber said actually that um... If you make yourself too accessible, then it becomes overwhelming. And um, that I feel like that might be the case for why I'm not a huge fan of Discord because it does get very overwhelming. There are all of these uh, giant communities on Discord with thousands of members and it, the, the messages go so fast, I can't keep up. And um, that's part of the reason why I prefer Twitter. It's more concentrated. And I feel like I can give my attention Individually, while keeping some distance from myself at the same
0: time. That makes yeah, I've said that makes sense a lot, but it's so true. We think very differently about this thing that we all love, you and I. And I really appreciate <laughs> your. I love it. I really appreciate your perspective on things. Um, Twitter is a is almost exclusively a negative space for me, so it's really interesting to hear about the the intimacy of a one on one, and to have that recorrect in my brain. I think that's that's important to have. Uh, oh gosh, I could keep talking to you forever, but I'm really, really conscious that I've already taken so much of your time. Is there kind of anything else that you would love our listeners to know about your feelings about Stephen Tony, your feelings about fandom, your feelings about tattoos? because you obviously love them on some <laughs> level. Is there anything else you'd you'd love to talk about?
3: Yeah, sure. Um I. I just keep developing this AU. I'm, I'm always constantly worried that people are sick of seeing me, <laughs> honestly. Uh, it's always like this, this little thought in my head, uh, regardless of whether or not that's true. But I am planning on expanding the AU more, hopefully write it one day, which is a big undertaking, I feel. And yeah, I, I do love tattoos. I collect them myself
0: on your body or uh, like in images?
3: On my body, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on my body. I, I do, before the, the whole, you know, pandemic, I was in the process of getting a lot of tattoos last year, but obviously that didn't happen. But as a tattoo collector, I do know what these characters in my AU might be going through and their reasonings for having certain artwork. I don't collect the same way I have these characters doing but I do understand why uh, tattoos with specific meanings are so important to characters like Steve and Tony. Uh,
0: can you tell me a little bit more about that?
3: Uh, so for when I collect tattoos, I collect artwork. I collect uh, artists based on their style and what they're good at. So none of my tattoos really have much significant meaning. but. For Steve and Tony, I've ascribed a lot of tattoos that do have a lot of meaning to them, like Steve has his arm full of his teammates like uh, Thor, Bruce, Nat, Clint, and of course Tony. Tony is on his chest. Tony is the sacred heart on his chest, sort of a reflection of Tony's own arc reactor, but in a different form that Steve chose to permanently get on himself versus Tony who never had the choice and he had to have it to survive. And on his other arm is his memorials for Bucky and for Peggy, of course, and the support system that he found in Sam. So for a lot of these characters, all of their tattoos do have meanings because they tell the story further, whereas I myself just want to appreciate
0: art and have it on my body. That's interesting. I always assume tattoos are significant and I forget just because it would take a lot for me personally and my understanding of pain and my own pain threshold uh, for it to, for, to mark my body permanently. And it would have to be this very cheesy, like significant part of my life story. Um, I would not be able to, I would not be able to think of it. I don't think of just as art, but I love, I love folks that do, I look at tattoos all the time. I find them completely beautiful. Um, I don't collect them upon my body. I collect them in my brain.
3: that's completely understandable it's not for everybody and it does take a lot to do the first one the first one I was very hesitant about I it was a debate on whether or not I want to mark up my body permanently with something that I'm going to have for the rest of my life but in the end I chose to do it and that unlocked it for me it became a floodgate it was just like
0: yeah tattoos more tattoos amazing and I can read that in how you draw Uh, steve and tony in that particular au that i could see it for them being a tiny thing or something that was reclaiming and then all of a sudden it was like i must have my entire life story all over my body and i must it (laughs) now Um, It,
3: it really is that way because the original idea was that steve was not comfortable in his new body because it his body changed in the span of minutes i cannot expect anybody to be comfortable with their bodies changing so drastically in such a short amount of time so it was really about him reclaiming that body for himself that's beautiful
0: that's really really beautiful
3: and also you know they
0: look great shirtless covered in ink but that's just a bonus (laughs) that's just the uh just the kink that we're just throwing (laughs) around for for shits and giggles Uh, my gosh, in terms of other pieces of fandom that you enjoy, do you have any recommendations in either artists that we should be looking at or fic that you really love that you would love our listeners to consume?
3: I always recommend the work of Got the Silver. Kara has amazing fics and uh, her Fireside series really helped me get over the feelings I had about Endgame. So that's a great one. highly recommend that series. And um, Fixed by Holly and Vice, absolutely incredible series where Steve has the has two of the Infinity Stones and he keeps going back in time over and over again trying to save Tony. Um, and of course Areton, she is writing a great AU with Silver Fox Steve and
0: that's super hot and very lovely noted folks we will have those links in the show notes as always so that you can enjoy them of those uh i've only read holly's infinity stone series so i'm now excited to dive into the other two uh pineapple this has been an absolute goddamn delight thank you so much for your time and um everyone pineapple stuff to pineapple's work will be in the show notes as well so that you can make sure to uh flood the love there as well Thank you so much for
3: having me.
2: We have another amazing guest on today's episode. Back to back, though we're not really calling this an interview. It's more of a conversation. Um, But on the topic of being known and having your name um, be out there or um, recognized by members of a fandom. We are joined by the amazing, lovely Sabre CMC. Once again, uh, back from our first episode ever, you are first year interview. And uh, now we're gonna have another conversation and we're gonna talk a little bit about being known in fandom, the pros, the cons, the, uh, the obligation, the
0: experience and the expectations. And we wanna say once again, In case this is the first time perhaps that you've listened to this pod, we are all aware that this is a really lovely thing to be known on a level. And at no point in this conversation is this meant to be, um, I don't know, I'm just reminded of the Chandler Bing quote, like, you know, my diamond shoes are too tight for my feet and my wallet (laughs) is too small for my 50s. We all respect that that might be how this comes across. And that absolutely could happen. Like nobody wants to listen to Evans and Downey talk about how difficult their life is. Um, But at the same token, we're all humans and members of this community and this fandom, and we're not the only ones who, and me to a much less extent, um, who have had these conversations or who have been watching other people have these conversations. And we just wanted to be a little bit honest about what some of the process of being in fandom is like for us at this juncture.
2: So um, first of all, welcome back Saber. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi, Flame. Hi, Ferret. Hi, fandom. (laughs) i wanted to say that so badly. (laughs) There you go.
2: (laughs) We'll just take that and pop it at the front of the episode. (laughs) All done.
1: (laughs) Well, it's good to be back.
2: (laughs) We're so happy to have you. Um, I was wondering, If you remember, like, did you have a moment or an experience that kind of made you go, oh, people know who I am? Was was that like something that you remember? Or is it more like a slow growth experience?
1: For me, it was really, I perceived it as a very slow growth experience. I started writing, I think, in 2014. And I don't think it really occurred to me that anybody would think of me as a big name fan. Um, probably until the end of Celestial Navigation. I think at that point, um, I had gotten enough asks about that fic uh, that I felt like, okay, people in the fandom probably do know whether they want to or not. (laughs) They probably (laughs) do know who I am. Um, But for me, it felt very slow and gradual. Um, Of course, at that time, I was really only connected to fandom from AO3 or Tumblr, not Discord or, or Twitter or anything like that. So that was just my experience. And um, I, in fact, my first round of thank you fix I did when I had 100 followers on Tumblr. And the second round, uh, which ended up being Celestial Navigation, where Barrett got me started on that one, <laughs> was when I hit 1,000 followers. So it wasn't like that was back when I was, you know, like had some ginormous following or anything like that. So for me, it was very gradual. I don't know how other people saw it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's actually, I think that's one of the most interesting things about kind of the way that fandom spaces work is that people tend to to enter the space and sort of take the immediate lay of the land and then decide that it's kind of always been that way. So it tends to be that the first people that you interact with that seem like someone knows who they are, you go, oh, okay, those are the known people. And you kind of take that first moment, you categorize everyone this way or that way. And it takes, you know, a little bit of pressure to shift those kind of views. Like I remember, um, I remember being friendly with someone for quite some time and we ended up working on a project together. And at some point it became clear that we each thought that the other person was like the long time old in the fandom that everybody else knew. And that was, we'd had that perception of each other but we'd actually both joined fandom like, two weeks apart from each other. And we just like happened to cross paths in such a way that we, we were like, oh, this person already has like an established blog and some stuff on AO3 and people know their name. So this is one of the known people. And we did that to each other. And then we're kind of like, oh, we're actually like, we've been here the same amount of time. <laughs> so I do think that that like what it looks like to other people is kind of a critical aspect of this whole conversation. Because everyone has their own, like venn diagrams of how they see
0: the other members of fandom yeah because i think so much of this bnf which i'm using air quotes as i say it every time i say it i realize it because i don't i i don't love that idiom i guess in a way and i i don't know i like this known entity a little bit better but it it sounds i think like somebody's bucky's going to assassinate at some point <laughs> um i'm a little bit nervous about that but i don't I don't believe that I am known at all. And it was very shocking to me when other people began to use that terminology for me. Because I associated being a known entity as having a lot of like, I mean, I guess the level of interaction on servers or in in stats that the two of you do, which I am nowhere near. Um, and as I shouldn't be, because I am, a, as we've discussed, a fandom fetus, and you, you two have done a lot more work than I have. Um, but it was really overwhelming to me, to because it was, it was, sl- it was happened to be slung at me in a very accusatory way, and not a positive or or kind way. Um, the first time I got called like a BNF, um, I was really shocked. I had no idea that that was a word that people thought about me. Um, And it was very, I think I went into like seven different DMs and I was like, am I really? Uh, And every, every single one of those people was like, yes, yes, flame. I was like, oh shit. I had no idea. I really didn't. (laughs) So I think some of it is this interesting idea of what does it mean to, to be known, I guess. And like what Ferret said, it's, it's this intersection of what other people perceive you as, I guess, versus Kind of the standards of the fandom, like I mean, there are some levels of clout. Like you do, I think, have to have a larger presence on Tumblr. I would think that a lot of people assume that, especially in Stony, like if you rattle off some of the names, it's the names of the fix that get recommended all the time. Um, And that's and and then of I think one of our more famous artists would be would be Pineapple, who I just spoke to. Um, But I think so for me, that's the cash in a way is like how often your works get recommended, but I don't know, I obviously that's not the cash for other people. So that that fascinates me too. How, how do we measure this?
2: Yeah, I actually, um, when I first joined fandom community spaces, I was part of a discord for fan fiction in general. That was pretty small when I joined and, um, got pretty big by the time I drifted out of it. Um, and I became a mod there fairly early on because as I say, it wasn't that big and I was present a lot because I got nothing better to do. And um, I was friends with some people who were already mods, including Ashy. <laughs> and um, uh, the mod team in that server was sort of inherently BNFE within the server simply because of the way the server was set up and how quickly it grew and how big it became. So it's sort of like there's also this this factor of you can be a BNF in one circle and not in another circle. and those circles are smaller, potentially smaller than like fandom space a, as a whole. Like I'm sure there are people who have tons of followers on Twitter in Stony who are posting amazing stuff or you know, have, have all these friends and conversations and are very active in that community. And I've just never heard of them because I don't go on Tumblr or on Twitter very much. So there's like, there's like 17 different intersections of what people think when they joined fandom, have you produced anything um, that got passed around a lot, like essentially like inner fandom virality, um, even if that's like meta post stuff like that, are you in a position of authority anywhere on a server for events? Um, and, and those things kind of add up, you know? We have people who I would consider BNFs within the POTS server that are such because they do a lot of baiting or they find a lot of fix, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and then the different, I mean, what's fascinating to me too is like when I first joined Discord, I didn't really understand what mods did. So I thought the two of you were mods and POTS because you talked so much. (laughs) Um, Love you both.
2: and then I've been accused of being a pots mod before. I know
0: what you're talking about Uh and then the longer I've been around and now that I mod things myself like absolutely there's no way I would want to mod pots. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bless um, those I of you that do. We love you. We love you so much. It's a whole different ball game than being a a member in a way. And yeah, that's what fascinates me is the number of people I talk to they're like I don't actually know who the mod the pots mods are and I'm like I think they like it that way. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely oh, interesting yeah. that on the other server, it was like expressly part of the culture that, that the mods were sort of treated a certain way. And like people wrote, um, fix about us, like shipped us, there was art of us. It was very much like, a I don't even know what to call it, but it was like an inherent BNFiness that, that the culture just supported about the people who were in a position of authority there. And it didn't matter whether, cause it was so many different fandoms that if you had a lot of fix or you know, high statistics or whatever, it didn't matter because nobody interacted on that level. And it was, so it was just about your role in that community that
0: mattered to them. Well, that, that's interesting then because so many Marvel servers are ship specific. And so like that's just been one of the nature of, of it appears the Marvel Discord space. And so cr- like wrecking the, the BNFs then would almost seem to be those who produce the most popular work
2: yeah, I think that- Rather that's than a those a who run the server. View. Yeah, yeah. So because this one couldn't really, there was so little overlap in fandoms. Like quite literally, you'd be lucky if you found someone. I found the one other person, the two other people in my fandom at all, in MCU at all. And I'm still friends with both of them. And one of them is Ashi. <laughs> and that was in a 1400 person server. So like the number of fandoms, I can't even begin to tell you that were in this server. And so the inherent quality of that was that I mean, it almost goes to show that humans have that innate desire to put some people on pedestals because even in this environment where they had so little to go on to pick who they were going to revere, it still happened. They were like, okay, it must be the mod team because they have authority. And there was, there was nothing else they could really lift people up as because we didn't connect on very many other levels. And that's, that's just, you know, it's an inherent part of human nature. We can't stop it. We love celebrities.
0: Yeah, and we love hierarchy. Even when we claim we don't yeah. like, because there's a level at which there's times where we all want to not be in charge of something, <laughs> yeah. and other times we want to be in charge of everything. And uh, and I think in a lot of ways, fandom lets people put on and take off those roles that may or may not correspond to their to their lives. So Saber, bringing you back into this, yeah. what has been a really great part of being, um, I guess, a brand?
1: Oh gosh. Um- Well, you know, as I've said before, I have never really been popular at anything in my life. So this is a bit of a new and unique experience for me. Um, For me, the best part was always getting to feel like I was a part of something, like I was contributing in some way. You know, this idea that there were people out there who were reading what I had written and and they cared about the works and they were made happy by the works and you know in some ways it touched them these the words that I put on a page you know reached out and touched people I just always thought that was really amazing I mean I obviously started much later in life writing um, even though I've always loved creating stories I just did it in my head and so this whole notion that you know just all these people out there have enjoyed what I've done, you know, it felt very validating and that has always made me feel good. And so I guess for me, that's been the, sorry, there are cats in here. That's <laughs> been the most fulfilling part. Um, and, you know, getting to meet people, um, it's, it's going to sound pathetic when I say this out loud, but, I, it, but it's not. Um, but I don't really have friends in real life um that's by choice i'm very introverted and i'm okay completely with that situation um so my social life pretty much exists online where i can control it and can have you know or at least to some extent have control and make decisions about how much interaction i'm comfortable with uh so that's been a very positive thing for me when i started getting involved in fandom my daughter was still young and I think I was really searching for some identity for myself other than just being someone's mom, which I felt like I had been for about eight years and I had kind of lost myself a little bit. So I was able to get a little bit of myself back through fandom. Um, and, you know, I've, I've gotten to meet so many great people and it that has been fantastic for me personally. Uh, so... You know, like uh, Flynn was saying in the beginning, I mean, even though probably some of this conversation is going to devolve into complaining, overall this has been a wonderful experience, and I I wouldn't want anybody to think otherwise. Uh, it's you know really has helped me through a lot of things, particularly this past year, um, and so I'm I'm deeply grateful to this community for what it has given me.
0: Yeah, I think that resonates with all of us ferret what what has been your your greatest gift
1: yeah i would i
2: definitely agree with the i mean um i would i had been reading fanfic for so long and like honestly writing in my head without realizing that's what i was doing for so long and and then writing original stuff and it just it it i can't believe it took until my 20s for me to say i could I could write it. I could write like, it wasn't that I didn't think I I could in the sense that I wasn't like capable of doing it. It just never occurred to me that I could start writing it and posting it. And so I consumed so much of it and it brought me so much joy and was so important for my creative development and just so stimulating. And then also a, a comfort when things were hard that to know that i'm making i'm like giving back to what i got from fandom like to hear from people that i was able to give them some of the experiences that i had when i was mostly just reading has been really great for me i think that's one of the like sort of seeing that reflection like if i just getting to know that um it makes that sometimes my work makes people happy like that's and that's something that the more reach you have or the more seen you are, um, the more you get that kind of feedback and the more you you see people are reading stuff and the more your stuff gets passed around so people have the opportunity to read it. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that because every time someone tells me that it made their day better, that makes my day better. So those little punches of joy are really good. <laughs> and sure. uh yeah, it's hard to say, like, um, obviously, like Sabre, I'm so grateful for the community. And I've made so many friends. And this is a big part of my social life too. Uh, the people that I have in per- I'm, I find in person challenging. Um, and I like having my social life in my phone so I can set it down or pick it up. My life is also very interrupty. It's just constantly I'm constantly constantly getting interrupted. So knowing that that isn't going to end a friendship because the nature of our culture is that people come and go during the day, during the hour, during the week, during the year. Um, and, you know, there's still going to be a space for you. And, I, and some of that is also, you know, you can, if you know, people know you and, and like you and have made space for you already, you feel more comfortable knowing that that chair is still going to be open if you go away and come back. And um, that's something I'm really grateful for in the community spaces that I'm in is people making some space for me and, and saving me a seat and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a power in knowing that you're missed in a way. And, you know, we've all taken server breaks and we've all walked away for a little while. And um, it's, it's always really lovely to say, I'm like, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. Um, and on, in fandom spaces, it's not a social obligation to say that, where it usually is at like a party I end up at. <laughs> um, in, in, on Discord, people gen, genuinely, generally mean it. Uh, and that's, a, that's a, a gift. I think the ideas of community and making people happy are also very universal. That that's what, when we ask people throughout the year... That we've been doing this which still boggles my mind this feels like we've both been doing this for 10 years and that we started doing it last week somehow Mm -hmm. um that you know the community aspect is incredibly important whatever that looks like for people i love one of my favorite parts of of meeting folks for mth was finding circles of friends that i didn't interact with because we're not in the same ship but getting to know these people that had these favorite authors and, and what this kind of looks like and how it works. And I'm hoping it's one of the things I'm looking forward to this season on the pod is introducing some other ships to our conversation so that we can make new friends in a way. And so that has been incredibly important. I think the nature of this year in particular, uh, those of us in fandom who are used to having internet friends and communicating entirely through text or our phones at all, uh, generally I has, we've seemed to fare a little bit better than some of my friends who have never had to do life, not in person. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to, you know, discount that piece of it. And yeah, I mean, like one of my favorite things on the STB server that you and I'm on, um, with Moody Ferret is our brag bucket channel where folks can just come in and say like, hey, you know what, I was kind of a badass today and let me tell you about it. And then we can celebrate them. And over and over again, I think like every creator that's been in that space has said like, look at this comment that I made someone's day or like this thing that I did affected people's life positively. And we all know that incredible gift that comes when somebody takes the time to tell you that you changed them somehow. And it's that's universal. It's not just like, yes, Ferret, you said it's because y'all's names are more known. And so more folks have read those things. And the numbers game, the law of large numbers, the numbers game is bigger. But the essential core of it, it just means that you're members of fandom. Because this is what the good parts of fandom can do, is those moments where you have family on your phone. Um, that whose voices you may never know what they sound like and you have no idea what their offline life is but in the moments where you're together and you intersect in this virtual world they are authentic and real and home um, and it's why we're all on family you know sluts in a way um, it's just because it's what um, it's what people who resonate <laughs> with fandom resonate with in fic often mm-hmm. and 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 that's, I think, really, really lovely and a piece that connects us all, whether we're writing entirely for ourselves and there are zero kudos on our fix, or we are, you know, sci-fi girl who is known for literally abominating canon and creating an entirely new character. Um, <laughs> hi, Cy, we love you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I ruined
2: everyone's day with that. I'm never going to live it
1: down. I'm
0: sorry. I'll tell you, I read fix now with Butterfingers in it. And I like, I just giggle thinking about how you are somewhere in Canada, furious. Um, but uh, it, it's, it, it's one of the universal, it's one of the universal things. And I think that's really important to know and remember. I think I had this perception that once I hit a certain point, comments wouldn't, or I shouldn't say that for me. I remember the very first time, Saber, I commented on one of your fix and you replied back. And. Did I, that how nice of me. <laughs> I know now that this is rare, how, how I must've been super special. Um, cause, but you said something like, it's so nice to get comments on older fics. So I must've com- I think I commented on, on what happened in Vegas and, uh, okay. um, yeah. And you said it was so nice to get a comment on an older fic. And that, that really stuck with me because I thought of all of you guys, before I knew you in, in community as, as like the authors I read in traditional books or who have like made it and don't need encouragement and um, you know, don't really, like they just know they're good, quote unquote. Uh, which by the way is true for no human being, but it is often the thing we assume about people that we don't know. Um, oh yeah, I need this encouragement, but that person doesn't because that person is better than I am or that person is more established or they have so many comments, why do they need another one? Um, and I know now from doing life with people who get a ton of comments, and who get more kudos and things than I do that you still cherished every single moment someone takes a time to tell you that they liked something you did. And Oh, you do, you definitely do, yeah. Yeah, it's a universal human experience that I think we don't, we're not quite as honest about uh, enough.
2: It's actually, I think that like, we can pretty, pretty like effectively say that, someone's fandom experience is just, there's like a, a curve of all the various ways that you can be interacting with a community. And that curve just kind of scales up depending on how interactive or how known or how widespread or how you know broad you are or what kind of events you run or anything like that or how much you tweet um, can sort of push you along that curve and i was actually just talking to mr ferret today about um like some some measures of of personality things or like um he he was getting like a performance review thing so we were talking about how there can be qualities of a person that are good and good and good and good and good up to a point and when they become that extreme they can lean into bad or difficult or controversial or what have you so we were talking about how like if you have kind of an obsessive personality, for example, um, it means that you might learn a lot of things really fast or you can get stuff done or you'll stay up all night and like just accomplish something amazing. But if you keep pushing that behavior further along the line, it hits a point where you're ruining your sleep schedule and you're ignoring other things that you need to do and, and that kind of thing. And I think some of these things with fandom can also like this level of interaction or the expectations people have of you, or your relationship with your statistics, it's all the same. It's just where that bar gets moved along the graph. I'm doing a lot of hand gestures you guys can't see, and I'm sorry about
0: that. <laughs> oh my gosh, if this was a video podcast, all you would see is the two of us talking with our hands. So
1: <laughs> We were talking earlier about how you know the goalposts always move as far as number of kudos, number of comments, Um, you know, that there's never like a certain number that you hit and you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm good now. Um, (laughs) You know, it just doesn't mentally work like that. I will say in all honesty, it is easier to deal with the negative comments for me now, Um, you know, being in the position I'm in. uh, Maybe that is just a numbers game. I don't know. Um, But, you know, if you assume that you know, everybody gets a certain percentage of negative comments. I probably get more than most just because I get more comments than a lot of people, but it is easier to deal with them. I will say that, you know, you kind of, I feel like I have this built up,
4: you know, backstop
1: of good comments. Yeah. That I can, that I can and do go reread. And in fact, I was just rereading comments the other day. Me too. um, I needed A a pick me up. Yeah, I do that all the time, and so I will say it is easier to deal with those negative comments, which I do get. I shared some with y'all the other day. Um, You know, so just like everybody else, I get those too. Uh, But I do most of the time I can just delete it, or I'll say something. You know, this isn't the pick for you, or whatever. Every once in a while, I'll say something snarky, but it it is. I think it does help to have that buffer as you said um of all these other nice comments so there that is definitely a benefit of having a large readership
0: yeah does it help you too to do because for me sometimes it's easier to do the negative comments if I'm the more I've gotten to know people so like if I can go and have other people tell me that that's not how they read the fic or that's not, like, that helps me too. Is that, does that buffer help you guys?
2: Yeah, for sure. Just like a, a general sense of an understanding of, of how the average person is going to take the way that I write. You know, like having X number of words out there in the world and the average of the response that I get makes it easier for me to be like, this person is an outlier. This person's knuckin' and futz, and they're just having a day and they're taking it out on me. And that's easier to say when there's enough built up experience of people saying, I, I read this the way that you intended me to read it. Um, yeah. Or this, I found this supportive, or I found this accurate. Um, it's easier to say, yeah, you're an outlier, so I'm gonna leave you off the graph. You're a statistical anomaly, so I don't need to make space for you. <laughs>
1: I've gotten used to saying, this is not the fic for you. is kind of my standard response to most negative comments. Um, and, and I mean that genuinely. This just isn't the fic for you. It was written for other people who enjoyed it. And this is just not the one for you. And I can manage to not take it so personally when I put it in that context that works for me
0: um, most of the time, not not hundred percent of the time. Yeah, there's a difference between like two, and I don't know if if, if you guys feel this way, but between like, I did it like this or someone like nitpicking, like I don't think you did Tony right or blah, blah, blah. Or some of the more hateful ones, like I got told to leave fandom forever a couple weeks, a couple months ago now. Um, and so there's also a gradation of like the ugly. So like the ugliest, ugly. I, there's absolutely no like. I will never forget reading that comment. And on the days that I like, fandom is hard, or other things are difficult, or whatever. That's the comment I think of. I think of first that that person was speaking for everybody who just is too tired to speak, and that everybody does really want me to leave fandom. Um, those are still really we hard for not. me to deal with. Absolutely not. <laughs> <yet. laughs> thank you, thank you, spokesperson for Stony. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, yes on, on behalf of Panda,
0: <laughs> thank you very much um the but like the yeah like the this fic is not for you comments are i agree with you are much easier to deal with now that i have an average of like mo- most people who subscribe to me seem to like my fix so we're good like that's fine right. but the truly ugly ones oof they're still mind fucks for me
1: Well, when it's personal.
2: Yeah, everyone has their own like personal triggers. I think like everyone has the thing that like gets under their skin. And there's a lot that I'm capable of just disregarding. Like you're not bar, I don't care. The thing that always grinds my gears is when people assume they know something about me because of some art I've shared. And they say things like, I know you feel this way, so I don't know why you wrote it this way. Or I know you're an X fan, or you prefer this or that. Or I'm like, yeah, I know you, I know you, I know you, so I'm making assumptions. Oh, that just makes me want to do a murder every
1: time. I should have directed uh, the bottom Steven on to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: getting them too. That's and that was what was about the thing that the thing that was about that that drove me crazy was specifically the way that person was like. I know you like this better. So I don't know why you're kidding yourself. I know you, I know you, I know you. And I was like, you don't fucking know me
1: (laughs) that. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. I think when it crosses the line from you didn't, you know, write this character well, or you messed up something in the story or whatever into something personal about you, you know, that's the, the hard part to deal with for me. And, you know, what happened a few months ago, was, you know, basically that it was somebody saying, not just, I don't like this story that you wrote, but I don't like you. And I think the fact that you wrote this story means these things about you, um, horrible things. And, you know, that was where it really, for me, crossed a huge line that I didn't even really quite know was there until it was crossed. Mm. And it you know that was just kind of for me a a point where that was too much and i needed to just pull back and y'all were wonderful about everything and very helpful um you know but those kinds of things are are just so much harder to deal with like flame was saying when it's this personal attack on you as a human being um existing in fandom the idea that you're doing something harmful you are yeah. hurting people when, you know, I'm, I'm in this to have fun and to, you know, make the world a better place in some small way, as cliche as that sounds. So to have that, you know, just twisted around like that, that's hard. That's really hard. And I know we're not the only ones I know just, you know, by virtue of being big name fans, whatever that means, you know, we're certainly not the only ones who get attacked like that. Um, but, you know, you are, I mean, you just are more well-known and that's the reality. And I know in my situation, the person who kind of was the one stirring things up, you know, flat out said that the reason it was aimed at me was because I was well-known and the story was well-known. Yeah. So it was, you know, deliberately done, um, you know, for that reason. And that part is hard to deal with, not going to lie.
2: Yeah, I think that there's there's like, there's like almost this assumption that, and it, you, you see it in like celebrity culture, which is a totally different thing. Like people who have PR people and um, whole lives revolved around being personas have structures and protections and expectations that people who write fanfic don't have um, and weren't prepared to take on. But because of the way our culture sees this quality of being known, Um, it can mean that they have an expectation of everybody that they think is sort of above them on this scale of popularity or celebrity or knownness. Um, And that it's fair to punch up because they're punching up, not down. And so inherently somehow that makes it okay. And that makes it sometimes even a noble thing to do as if hitting up in your eyes is somehow always okay. And that it's, it's never, you know, we can talk about like dismantling s- bad systems and stuff like that. But this concept that um, like you deserve to be extra criticized because you're extra popular is something that I struggle to have any sympathy for.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I don't have any sympathy for it. I'll be honest. Um especially because in the spaces that we're talking about we're talking about fictional things with that bring joy to real life people and the kind of warfare that goes on is just exhausting and I, I think we've all I've seen talk about this on the servers and some other stuff like this but I feel like as the as the pandemic has dragged on, fandom as in general has gotten more snippy.
2: Hmm. There's a there's a tone.
0: And there's some, a of the, some of the criticism has gotten angrier and the positivity has gotten scarcer. Um and I know we're all tired. I'm not like, I mean, I I spend my days researching <laughs> collective trauma that we're all dealing with and how we go forward from here and you know all of that kind of stuff, um, which is why I spend so much time at night reading and writing porn because um, we all need coping mechanisms right now. <laughs> but it it and all the time. But this nature of everything is terrible in my personal life and so I'm going to take it out on a stranger on the internet, seems to have increased in the last couple months.
2: Yeah. And it it's, I mean, we can talk about like parasocial relationships that people have with celebrities or, or um, people for whom they have created a persona that's based on a, a public perception. Um, and I think that like punching bag can be part of that. Um, they can be one of those types of relationships you can build, like, And it can, you know, perhaps it comes out of a resentment that other people have something that you feel your life would be better if you had, um, or just because they're accessible, uh, or again, that feeling that it's justified if you're punching up, but it does seem like, um, you know, maybe, uh, there's a percentage of people who will always lash out on others when they're not feeling their best and many of them haven't felt this bad in a while and so we're seeing an up curve of of people who don't have another more appropriate vent for their frustrations and yeah I mean I get it where we are all tired <clears throat> but again we are all tired and we're all hurting from this and we're all struggling and so to add more negativity to the world seems counterproductive to me. You're just more likely to get it right back at
0: you, aren't you? I mean, I certainly think so, especially with especially with the internet.
1: It's been interesting having, you know, watched different fandoms over my now 45 years. Um, it, it does seem like this whole notion of, you know, purity culture, uh, to some degree it comes around every time, every, you know, so often you see it showing up again. And I wonder if that's sort of connected to what we've gone through this past year with, you know, this need to, people are hurting and upset. And so there's kind of this thought of, well, if I can just make this space better for me and safer for me, so I feel secure, you know, maybe there's something to that I'm not a psychologist I don't know I just write you know, porn about <laughs> superheroes it, it does it, it is interesting that it's coincided with the whole pandemic thing that we're seeing an uptick in that and not just in Stony, but you know seems like in a number of kingdoms, there's yeah. been issues
2: yeah I think I think that that is that plays into it too for a lot of people and and even just like you know If I can control this one thing, I'll feel like I have more control over my life. If I can improve this one thing, I'll have a safer place. If I can just, yeah, that's definitely, I mean, we're, I think the vast majority of people are experiencing more anxiety this year than they normally do on average and trying to control things you feel are controllable is a classic coping mechanism for anxiety. And a lot of people maybe don't have the self-awareness of how they process anxiety if they're not naturally anxious people to realize that that that's what they're trying to do. So, you know, a a self-awareness is probably part of it too.
0: Oh, to not be an anxious person. Like (laughs) my life. I would love to to not have this very well-developed coping set of skills. My gracious, God love you all. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart.
2: (laughs) Turns out there are people out there who do not have anxiety.
0: Oh my God, bless, honestly bless you.
2: But that actually brings me around to another thing. I've been sort of mulling over For quite some time, really. Um, And that's this, this, I mean, we can talk about like the expectations of people who um, we feel are known. And some of that is even a feeling of obligation that like, oh, but we're the people who lifted you up. We're the people who give you that feedback, those kudos, that attention. And therefore, it circles back around into these expectations that you owe us something in return. And... There's obviously like a cycle of, of what do creators owe their consumers? What do consumers owe their creators? And I feel like that is a huge conversation that we we will be having for years to come. But specifically talking about this concept of a BNF, do you think that, that people who are considered a BNF, do they have an obligation to somehow strive to be best or better in some way do they have an obligation to be a role model do they have an obligation to be extra nice to people do they have an obligation to be diplomatic or and like try to diffuse discourse
1: I don't know that I I think that there's an obligation you know in the sense of you you have to I will say when I was new to the fandom I I had those feelings of wanting the people I considered big name fans to do more. I did have those feelings. I I wanted them to, you know, be more proactive about helping, you know, newer and smaller writers like me at the time, um, you know, to get known and, and to be more of a positive force in the fandom. I wanted that. Of course I had those feelings. I think that's pretty normal but I was an adult enough not to actually expect it and go demand it of them. And that's kind of where the line is for me. Um, you know, you, it's certainly, it's normal to want that type of thing from people, but you, the way that sometimes a few, and I, you know, I do think it's a, a small portion of the fandom, um, can feel that it, they are entitled to that mental energy from you and that time from you, uh, it can be overwhelming. Um, and you know, as I've said before, my feeling on how I wanted to interact with fandom was that I should be the kind of fan that I wanted others to be. And I've said that from the beginning. And for me, that means trying to be positive, trying to be kind, trying to help where I can, reblogging thick and arts, doing reckless leaving comments, you know, what, what can whatever I can do to lift people up, I feel a personal obligation to do that. Um, because that is how I want my fandom experience to be. But I don't think that there's some obligation to do that existing outside of the one I put on myself. And I know others are, you know, are going to react differently to how they want to interact with fandom. And we all have to figure out what works best for us that that keeps us around. I mean the goal is to to keep these creators, all the all the creators, not just the big ones, but to keep creators around and encourage new ones. And we're not going to do that if we are constantly demanding things of them. Um, but do I like to do it? Yes, I do. I I take a lot of pleasure in being able to lift people up where I can and make people feel good. And I don't, but I don't think I have to. It's just something that for me personally is a driving force and what I want to do in fandom that does, you know, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily always the right way for everybody else to be. And I know a lot of people feel differently, and that's just not how they want to have their fandom experience. Um, I'm also very good at, uh, you know, getting other people to, do what I want to make my fandom experience better, like start a pod. So <laughs> I, like, I like to you know, kind of outsource some of my do-gooding where I can. Uh,
2: and so, some of your prompts.
1: Uh, <laughs> and some of my prompts. I I happily share those, as you well know. What a um, gift. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, so I like to spread the, the do-gooding around when I can.
0: I take... I agree with you that there's no no obligation, but it's interesting when Farid asked that question, I took it in a really different place in my mind where I thought about how people in any position of like leadership or authority. So this is where it gets into like that BNF sometimes really overlaps with people who mod events Mm -hmm. um, or who mod servers. So that is... So I take it very seriously as somebody who has this pod and has created this platform, but who is also in charge of, you know, with other people, but two servers. And then the responsibility I have as part of the MTH team to create safe environments for people to flourish in their fandom. And as part of that, I recognize that there are conversations I can't have in public. There are opinions I can't share in public. There, are, there is a base level of human decency that I treat everyone with, even when it tries my patience, because that is also what leadership means to me. And that is part of providing these spaces, the little ways that I can or helping to provide these spaces is part of that. And there are other fandom creators and other fandom podcasts and other fandom event mods who don't share that with me and who say whatever they want and behave however they want and do whatever they want. And that's fine. That is not to, in terms of the way you were talking Saber about personal ethic, that's not my personal ethic. My personal yeah. ethic is that if you are in charge of things you are a human starting gun and your words come with power and you need to, as often as possible, I mean, we're all make mistakes, we're all human. I can give you an alphabetical list of the ways I fucked up at work in the last two weeks with some of my employees. Um, Cause that's what we do, we're human bumper cars and we're constantly, you know, bumping into each other. The, on the whole, my I know my words carry power and I need to wield those responsibly. And so I do think about there are times where I am too tired to comment or I ran out of spoons too, and I do push myself to do it because that person is in my server. Um, or I know like they shared a couple of weeks ago in, in somewhere that I was in that they were really feeling low. And so I will put them before me for sure and try to be especially who they need at that moment. And so I think that overlaps a little bit with what you're saying, Saber, but I know it's a different tact, but I do feel very... I do feel that there, is a, that there is a certain element of, especially if you're going to take a leadership and actual leadership role, not just that you write a whole lot of fic and people kudos it, but if you're going to take an actual leadership role in a fandom space, there is an obligation of kind and collegial behavior, I do.
2: I, yeah, I think I have like yet a third overlapping perspective um, because I agree that, and for me personally, when I am in a space where I have taken a leadership role, if I'm a mod or running an event, or you know I've stepped up in some way to be responsible for something, then I am careful to to um, to act and speak and treat people you know, in a, in, I guess in a more professional way, like I consider that a professional environment and I treat it like a professional environment. And that's not to say my baseline isn't respecting people, but I, I take an active effort to make space for people. And if I make, I only make promises I know I can keep, and I will do whatever I need to do to make sure that that happens. And if I've taken on a responsibility, it's deeply important to me. And so those places where I have taken on a leadership role, I believe I need to be my, my best self or my professional self. You, you worded it better, but I'm not sure how. So just (laughs) take what flame did, um, and say, I agree with that part. And then, but then I also, I am not a naturally, I'm not a natural cheerleader in any way. And I admire both of you so much for being able to be that for people and actually finding joy in in being other people's support systems and comforts. Um, And especially when it comes to providing praise, something I am supremely terrible at. And this isn't like self-deprecating. It is legitimately one of the things that is not part of who I am. And part of it is that um, I had a lovely childhood. You've met my mom. She's great. But... Praise wasn't part of the way that we enjoyed and loved each other. And so it's not, it's just something I don't get. I don't know what it is people want to hear when they want to hear something nice. So I acknowledge that I'm bad at it. And if people expect me to be that, I like I will I will treat everybody with, with respect. I I respect everybody's space and voice in our community and I am here to make all that space for people and I admire people who can provide that praise for each other, I'm not one of them. So I like to think that the best puzzle piece of a community is people doing the things that they're good at and the things that they will actually follow through with all pieced together to make a a space that has all of this power in it so I have made the conscious choice to not push myself to do things that take me in an inordinate amount of time, like replying to comments on my fix. I'm so grateful for them, but it was occupying every spare moment and every brain cell I had trying to say thank you to people because I'm so bad at it. And instead of saying, oh, I must get better at this if I'm gonna be a valuable member of the community, I said, I'm gonna make up for the fact that I can't do this by being the best member of the community I can be in the ways that I can do things. So I put my hand up when C was starting MTH and I said, I will stay up all night making a website if that's what needs to be done because that's something I can do and I can do it well. And I'm so excited to have that opportunity to give back to fandom. So when I run into brick walls, it's when people have expectations of me to be somebody that I'm not because it's something other people are very good at. And it can make me uncomfortable sometimes that the BNF hood that was given to me by the community. And I don't wanna be like that I didn't ask for, but in a sense, it wasn't something that I sought out actively. The result is sometimes that people expect me to be a person that I'm not and I don't think that I am a bad or unlikable person and I don't think I'm a bad friend but there are many things I am bad at and they don't really they think they want me to do those things but they really don't because it's tragic when I try so sometimes that um, intersection of expectations and then what it actually means to be a good community member doesn't have to be the same thing for everybody and respecting and caring about every member of the community doesn't look the same for everyone. And I think it's actually kind of amazing that we can have space for people who do all these things in different ways and that we have such a diverse community that you can be like, hey, I need somebody to read 15K and tell me how wonderful I am and there are people with their hands up. And you can say, hey, I need somebody to tell me where all the commas are missing and you've got people with their hands up. And you can say i need somebody to teach me how to use photoshop and you've got people with their hands up like if we can all put our hands up for the things that we are beautiful at then combined we have this incredible force but if you're you're expecting others to put their hands up for all the things you wish they would put their hands up for you're kind of setting yourself up inevitably for disappointment one way or the other either they're going to say yes and then not do it they're going to say yes and do it poorly or they're going to say no and either way those aren't going to be good for you. So I guess that's my relationship with it.
0: That makes sense. It was funny. When you first asked the question, it was like, does everybody have an obligation to be nice? My immediate thought, and I say this in entire love was, well, then you're fucked.
2: (laughs) I know I own that completely. We've had
0: this conversation a lot of times. It's one of the reasons that I like, we've talked about this before, but it's one of the reasons that I think we work really well is that we are both very upfront about, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. And the, um, yeah, I mean, I've said it to you. And so I'll say it on the pod. Like some of the most frequent questions I get are why doesn't ferret like me? Um, Which first of all, like, I just, I want to say this right now. Like I'm not ferrets keeper, Um, (laughs) but I don't know. (laughs) I'm, I'm not in her brain. But my honest answer is always like, it is some version of you're putting an expectation on her that she she is not. It's not personal. This is her personality. And when they're she's asking, she's just that, a shit
2: person at her
0: core. Honestly, she's just that a is bitch. Not true. Not true That is not true. But what they're expecting you to be is me or Saber. My love it's language not is building websites.
2: So, like, if you guys need a website, if you want me to show how much I love you, ask me to build you a website. Well, you
1: <laughs> must love me a lot. So you much. All of a website.
2: I've built a website <laughs> for each of you two. So it's entirely. True. The ones <laughs> <for frame. laughs> I, it's, Yeah, I. I mean, yeah, I have one. I, mean, I have one is, love language, and it's acts of service.
0: Yeah, it's spreadsheets. Like honestly, yeah. I tell people this, and they think I'm joking, and I'm like legit. If you need help with tech, ask Ferret. She loves to do it. Um, and it's it's the it's it's this. So there's one aspect of community that came to mind when both of you were talking, and it's the fact that unlike celebrity, true celebrity in the way that like, you know, we think about it, people there people in fandom community that are known in the community are generally going to reflect the values of that community. So if. They're also part really... of
2: the community in a way that celebrities like celebrities generally aren't part of their own community. Like exactly. The one that we get to see is not real. That's not their actual community spaces.
0: <laughs> no. And I'm sure, I mean, like the, uh, there's every celebrity has a secret Instagram and you know, like all that kind mm. of stuff. The, the, we're just, (laughs) we're just here. This is always us, even behind our avatars or our names. We said it before anyone who wants to figure out who any of us are probably can, if they really wanted to, like it's, it's always us. We are always our full selves. And so that means that if the community values kindness, the kind people are going to become more known in a way. Um, If the community values honesty and hard work, then the people who are honest and hard workers are going to be known. People who are liars and cheats aren't going to be known and they're going to be, they're not going to find foothold in that community. Um, And so in a way, it's a fascinating sociological study to look at who are BNFs in different fandoms to, in a certain way, see how their behavior in fandom reflects their community values um, and kind of what that looks like. And I love I wanna reiterate what Ferret said about that everyone should put up their own hand for what they're good at. Because what I hear from some um, people who are younger in fandom, chronological age irrelevant, but younger in fandom, is that they feel there's a certain set of things they have to do to be liked or known. So I need to mod an event. I need to do a bang so I can, I can know people. I need to reach this certain threshold. I need to do this certain checklist so that I can be known in the community. And I think that's a really, first of all, that's something that I would have thought when I was younger in fandom. It's certainly how I behaved in fandom in my teens and 20s. But on kind of this end of it, what I've realized is that really what people want is that you just show up. That's how you get known. That's how, you know, people, you just show up. You are in the servers that bring you joy. You're in the comment sections of, of authors that you like, even if you're a lurker, you are a reblogger or you like things with emojis, or I always love it by the way, when I'm in a discord server and someone likes something I said, and I don't know that person's name because it's like, it reminds me that community is bigger than I think it is. And I want to know that person, but I don't want to be creepy and DM them and be like, hi, can we be friends? Because I am a human puppy that scares people. (laughs) Um, But know that every time you've ever liked something, if we've never talked, I wanted to DM you and ask if we can be friends. Um, And that is, that's that's how you do it. There's not a checklist. There's not a set of obligations in that way that we just talked about. There is just doing the work and doing the work means doing life.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of people, you know, particularly with discord, which has gotten so big, they do feel, I think a little overwhelmed with that and a a little locked out um, in some ways because, you know, that can be, um, you know, it, it, it can feel like there's, maybe only 20 or so people who are posting sometimes. Um, but you do, you know, like like you were saying, Flame, you, you really just have to put yourself out there if that's what you want. There's nothing wrong with just lurking. And, you know, I largely do that in a lot of spaces. I don't really participate in many other fandoms. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but if you want that, then you really do have to sort of, you know, just throw yourself in the ring and go for it. Um, because, you know, and I I wished, like I said, when I first started out, that people were better about reaching out to me. Um, but that's just not how it works for the most part. You've really just got to put yourself in there. And uh, if, if that's what you want to make happen, um, I really admire Ferret a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, but It my perception of ferret is that you do not allow yourself to be manipulated or guilted um, into participating in fandom in a way that you don't want to, and I think that's very healthy and you know probably better for your long term fandom happiness. Um, says the person who tricked (laughs) me into starting a podcast, what (laughs) (laughs) what you're talking about. but for for people who are not me uh, you're not easily manipulated
0: let's put it that way yeah I mean for anyone who doesn't know the three of us and is listening to this and is a little bit weirded out the thing that Saber is really good at is encouraging Ferret and I both to do the things we already wanted to do And that didn't for any reason. So she's not actually a puppet master as many times as we joke she is. Her like she just knows us uh, really uh, well. <laughs> so it's it we're and we're not actually uh, that difficult to know on that level. You can dangle some things in front of us and we'll jump. So <laughs> don't don't think that this is some sort of uh, we're doing a lot of joking here.
1: That is true. The number of times y'all have sent me, you know that um, that's bait meme. Uh, <laughs> I think I've lost
0: count yeah I mean like any ferret love fest I love to do because it makes her so uncomfortable oh but God, um, don't start. you can mute it <laughs> um, no but I think the boundary thing is really important because I am definitely somebody who fell in face first I mean I just burst into Stony and Stucky and Stucconi I burst into Marvel like the Kool-Aid man and was like <laughs> here here I am you know like which is how I burst into most things in life um, I just kind of show up and then figure out the lay of the land later. I wish I was somebody who sat back and figured out things first, um, but I'm not. I always learn through um, doing. That's just what I've always, how I've always been. But one of the things that be, that knowing people who have been around particular fandom longer than me has gifted me, and Farid is my particular example of this, and as are you Saber, as we've known each other this year, gotten to know each other this year, is the is understanding the rhythms of what burnout could look like. Um, like I remember when we first started talking about the pod, and I was like, well, I'm doing all these events and Ferret laughed and was like, Yeah, I remember when I was like that. You don't have to do that. You know, like you don't have to. Um, and I and now I look at I look at some folks and I was like, you don't have to do the bang. I promise. The bang will happen without you. If you like There is a difference between pushing yourself and flagellating yourself. And you've got to figure that boundary out um, for yourself. But having, so sometimes having people who are known in the fandom who have been around the block a time or two like the two of you, just being honest and saying like, this has been my fandom experience is also instructive because being around also means you have you know a lot of people you've been, you've talked to a lot of people and you've had a lot of experiences. And that's inherent in being known as well. And I think that that's a valuable, I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but a valuable service to the community and to those of us who were new to kind of help us give us the lay of the land.
2: I do think that, um, like, it's just the truth that for, the mo- for most people, the way you figure out your boundaries is to test them a little and then go, oh, that was too far and take a step back. And... That's just, I mean, that's the human experience we talked about when we were talking about writing teenagers and children. We talked a lot about how that is the experience of being a teenager is you you don't have any of these boundaries yet and you have to figure out where they all lie and you have to push a lot of them. And many of them have been set on you by other people and you have to learn how to push those aside as well. But also when you go, Oh, wow, okay, no, that was a firm line. I am reeling that back in. And I think that there can be so much positivity and so much enthusiasm and also so much desire in fandom. Yes, please write that. I wanna see that. Um, So much motivation of that nature that it can be sort of intoxicating and you kind of have to push all those boundaries and see which ones make you fall on your face. But having a community that loves you and feeling like you have people who are supports for you and who either have been there or going through the same thing, um, who are like standing ready with the oven mitts to catch you when you trip so you don't hit your face quite as hard is also, you know, perhaps that is actually the ideal way to do this process because just being told, don't do that, that's too many events, you're gonna burn out, doesn't really help you figure out where your actual boundaries lie. But having someone who can say, when you're crying at 2 a.m., you know, you don't actually have to black out this bingo. You can stop right now. It's okay. You're still a good person and a good creator. And I still love you. That like, that is actually the thing that lets you go, okay, I'm quitting that bingo. And it was too many. And next time I'm not going to do that. And that's what like learning to participate in a community space in a way that doesn't use you up is. And if I'm at a place now where I can say, I'm not going to be manipulated into things I don't want to do. I'm not going to be guilted into being someone I'm not. And I'm not going to offer promises I can't keep because I'm not that person. A lot of that is because I spent a long time doing those things and going, wow, fandom isn't fun. And then saying, wait, no, there's still a lot I like about this. I just don't like doing some of the things other people want me to do. And, or that I feel are a part, naturally a part of this or whatever the justification was. And if if one can say I'm in a healthy place in fandom now, it, you know it's from a lot of tripping.
1: <laughs> it's so important to know your own boundaries and figure that out, and to put yourself first, which I think is hard sometimes for me, um, because I, my nature is to generally try to please people. Um, so figuring that out is key for staying around long term. And it's hard, you know, we've seen lately, or it seems like lately, you know, so many of our creators who have left fandom, um, for one reason or another. And a lot of times it's related to how fandom was making them feel, um, whether it was the demands or the negativity and, you know, that's, I mean, we want to avoid that, um, if we can as a healthy fandom you know we'd like to minimize that of course there will always be some things we can't control and reasons that people want to leave or need to leave but it does seem like you know we've had kind of some bumps in the road the past year or so with uh, losing some creators and for me at least you know part of staying in the fandom and continuing to be a part of it is figuring out what my boundaries are and I guess that's kind of where I am at the moment is just trying to figure out how I want to participate in fandom. I mean, I still love writing and I still love being a part of things. Um, Just not really sure yet exactly what that's going to look like going forward. And that was probably to some degree my own fault for being very accessible and trying to please as many people as I could um I didn't really intend to do it it just sort of happened and it was hard to pull away from but it was something that I needed to do um so just so yeah so figuring out that you know where your boundaries are and making sure that you enforce them I think that's a very key part at least for me um of being known it's a put your own Mask on first kind of situation too. Yeah. Like
2: if it's not selfish to say that if you're not okay, if you're not comfortable, if you're not happy, if you're not feeling motivated or empowered or safe, you can't be the the person that you know you are. You can't be the person who's helping other people. You can't be a positive voice because you can't breathe like if you if you don't have your oxygen mask on you can't help the people who can't get their own on so I think that that it really applies that there there's a selfishness that is selfless and this is definitely one of those cases where taking care of yourself and setting those boundaries so other people know what to expect of you and letting those boundaries change when you change because we get older we go through global pandemics we have life changes um it, it It means that, you know, sometimes you're gonna have to say, well, I gotta stop. I gotta go breathe right from the tank for a while. And, you know, as a community, we have to be forgiving of that and supportive of that because as much as we love consuming what the other people produce, if we just suck it all out of them endlessly, they're gonna burn out, it's inevitable. So maybe as a community, we can help better spot when other people are you know it's always easier to see in other people I think you can it sometimes takes someone else saying like are you okay (laughs) you seem like you seem frustrated by everything or you seem really tired or or, you know I haven't heard from you in a while and if we can sort of keep an eye out for those things with each other then maybe we can help prevent other people going through that because People don't, I don't think people talk enough about burnout in the things that you love to do. Like, it doesn't mean you don't love to do it anymore. It's just that anything that you do takes something from you and you can only give so many pieces of you without restocking. And sometimes restocking is saying, I'm just not for a while. <laughs> so.
1: And you know, Flame, um, you mentioned before about that comment that you got uh, or comments on your fake and how much that bothered you. And I think I told you this in Private message, but I'll just share it with the world. Um, you know, I feel I I felt bad afterwards, that I didn't more profoundly address that um, because it, it's. I, I think it's sometimes it's, it's people don't really say how much it's bothering them, and I, th- I think I should have been better about reaching out and you know offering some assurances to the extent that I could Um, and I wish I'd done that Uh, because you know we saw recently um, with sci-fi girl you know who got some negative comments that were very upsetting and fandom really rallied around her and I'm sure that made her feel great but you know that the feeling of how a comment like that or comments make you feel you know that happens to everybody whether you're a big name fan or not and I do think we need to be a little better when somebody does mention those issues about um, offering support you know, for everyone, not, not just for the, the big name fans with the well-known stories that we don't want to lose um, because you know everybody's a valuable member of this fandom in their own way. And I, so I, I do think that I need to be better about that and we as a fandom need to be better about that. Um, and, and really embracing everybody's uh, need for the occasional comfort and support, not just the big name fans.
0: I mean, it would be lovely. I said this to you in DM, so I'll say it in, you know, there was absolutely no way that you could have known that I wasn't okay. Because it also wasn't something I said anything about because it felt really silly to be so affected by something a stranger said about me. And I think some of it for some of us, is acknowledging that the pain caused by by negative reactions to this hobby is real. Yeah. Um, you, may, you may not be able to say it to your outside, your offline friends. You may not be able to express it to your family, but it's not a silly thing. It's not nothing. If it hurts you, then it was hurtful. And that's what it comes down to. And I mean, when I got that, I got that particular, like the worst of the comments I got on Christmas day and I was already having not a great day because of reasons. And I just sat on the ca- on the couch at my brother's house crying. And I remember thinking that I was at, that my only reaction at that point, the only emotional well I had left, the only thing I had was to DM Ferret and say, I'm out, tell everyone that, I had a great time in fandom and I'm really, really grateful, but I can't do this anymore. And it was, and it wasn't just one comment. I should say it was about 17. Um, I will never forget that number. Um, It was 17. Um, All saying very much the same thing that now I think they might've been sock puppety. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It was a lot of screaming at me that I was damaging and harmful and that I should leave fandom and I should be ashamed of myself. And that I had ruined their lives. I had not their life, but I had given them nightmares, like all this kind of stuff that it, it doesn't, there was nothing I could do about it. Like there was yeah. no restitution. There was no, there was nothing in community about it. There was no way for me to be like, all I could say was I was sorry. Um, and, and at the same time be like, but also you didn't check the tags. Um, but it didn't like, there was no logic. There was just pain. And I felt like I should have been stronger. And like, if I had gone onto the discord and been like, guys, I think I'm leaving fandom. I know that there's so many people that would have been wonderful and lovely. And and you guys would have been two of them, obviously. Fair, I would assume you would have talked me out of leaving fandom if I had said that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, And- uh, that Don't worry, was- guys. I won't let her. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'll
2: sit on her. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's actually me who's in Ferret's basement, not the other way around. Um, (laughs) But I also didn't feel like I could be that vulnerable with the community. And that's something I need to work on too. And that it's very easy to, I don't know, this is a little bit messy, so go with me here. But like, I think about in a lot of servers, we have rules of like, if you're gonna ask for help, like this is it for your fic, like this is how you ask. Like, this is what we want you to say. And this is what we do it in a way that could be really helpful for like, I'm posting this negative comment. And what I need from all of you right now is to be mad with me <laughs> or right. what, I need for, what I need is somebody to go read the fic and tell me if this person is right. Um, and if this is valid criticism or them being a dick, like I need, this is what I need from this moment. And that might help some of the stuff too. Cause at that time, all I needed was to hear not platitudes, not quick messages. I needed legitimately honest people to be like, no, 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 no. That person's an outlier. We do want you here. You are a valuable member. And, and that made me feel like if I asked for that, that people would be like, oh my God, flame, of course, you know, that you're valuable, blah, 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 blah. You're just being silly. And that wasn't what I needed. Right. Because the, the pain in that moment was not silly being stalked across different platforms and being told that you are damaging to fandom, which not, I am one small microcosm of people that have experienced that, um, is not silly. And it's part of the community's job as well to be specific in how we can support people in the midst of that, but also like just hear us, I guess if (laughs) if the three of us have any power of words at all, um the shitty comments are shitty and that's and and they just are for whatever reason however you feel about them is how you feel about them
2: and I guess to circle it back around it's not discounted or meaningless or less hurtful because you are popular in fandom it, it yeah the stuff that's that's personal that's really like we talked about how sometimes the negative stuff is easier to deal with when you've got positive stuff to weigh it out with but as we were saying, when it's personal like that, it, it doesn't matter, everybody's the same size when someone's stomping on you and it just, it really doesn't, you know, it's it's, it's, it's not like, oh, you know, Flame doesn't, doesn't need as much support because she knows she's great because she's got all this great stuff. When it's something personal and, and it's about you and whether you are a good person or whether you're a smart person or whether you are a hurtful person, It's just on another level that the only way through that is emotional support. And regardless of whether you've got one fic and two kudos or 765 fics and 2 million kudos, it's always gonna come for you the same way because that's not about the quality of your art. It's about the quality of you as a person. And we're all sensitive about that.
0: Yeah, and so we go back to, you know, as well, the first rule of fandom is first do no harm and and then do you and the that applies to everybody regardless of, of where they stand in the weird, I'll just call it out, it's weird. It's weird to know that because we talk into microphones It Or write fic or are popular on Tumblr that other people know who we are for writing superheroes. It's a little weird. It's beautiful, but it's a little weird. And it's a weird feeling. And it's, it's, it's again, it's just kind of odd. And, um, it's beautiful and odd to me that I get comments that are like, I printed out your fic and I took it to my therapist and it really helped. And I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. I hope that was positive. Um, and that kind of power in someone's life that you'll never, you do not know the legal name of is a very specific emotion that a lot of like, my offline friends have no concept of how to engage with at all. They, that's, not, that's not anything that they get. They love that people like my thick, and they're very supportive of it, but they don't really know what this means. Um, and so at whatever point you fall along the known unknown spectrum of this beautiful little kingdom that we've built, um, I think the best advice that we can all take is kind of is a little bit of, a, of both what Saber and Ferret said, know your own boundaries. And be the change you want to see in the world. And remember that all of us are human, regardless of how many, regardless of our stats, we are all human.
2: Saber, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. It has been an absolute delight. And hopefully our listeners are still with us because boy, can we all chat?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both. I enjoyed it. Always good to talk to you and looking forward to listening to the rest of the pod.
0: taking a bit of a turn i guess from the conversations that we just had i want to check in with one of my favorite things about fandom at the moment which is trope off ferret where are we what's going on
2: well well we have a lot to talk about um it's been yeah it's been an interesting couple of weeks because uh I think we're, we're getting into, I mean, people have now seen quite a few of the options out there. I'd have to count, but I think we've m- maybe seen half of okay. the available ones or even more. Um, so, you know, it's kicking off. It's kicking off. Uh, we're still determining the winner and loser bracket. So this is still the first like round, if you will. And we haven't, not everyone has had a chance to end up being sorted. So we've got a couple more left to go there, but. Progress is being made. So last time we talked, which was Valentine's Day, and I hope everyone had a lovely Valentine's Day. Whether you celebrated it with a partner or friend, or on your own with a box of chocolates with your cat, I hope it was nice. I hope you had us on your ear, your ear holes, and it was pleasant. Um, but then I also hope that after you listened, you went and voted in trope off because we had we had a tight one. And we talked, and I think we knew it was going to be tight. We talked about thinking it was going to be tight. We had clothes sharing versus found family. Do you have a guess?
0: Because it was tight. I think my guess is that found family pulled it out just because that's a bit broader than clothes sharing.
2: You are correct. Woo! It was it was a pretty big vote. Like the closer they are, the more votes we tend to get. If people think it's like, quote unquote, obvious, I think they're a little less likely to vote. Or right. if they don't have any feelings about either of them, they're less likely to vote. So I find that the votes that get like the polls, they get fewer votes overall tend to be some of the ones where they both are going to end up in the loser's bracket. So that's interesting. Okay. Fair enough. Maybe we need to do some like deeper statistical analysis about stuff like that for the, for this one. And now we'll have two rounds so we can compare. But this one was pretty on the high side with 118 votes. Closed sharing took in 44% and found family took in 56%. So it was a decisive win, but not, a, not an extreme win, if you will. Yeah, not a landslide. Not a
0: landslide. Um, And I can see that. I can see that. Because if I had to choose between the two, I love both. But if I had to choose between the two, I would choose Found Family.
2: Yeah. And I think I think that's a, you know, especially obviously Troboff is open to any fandom, but the vast majority of people who are engaging with my Twitter are going to be at least Marvel fans, if not specifically Stony fans. And we know that Found Family is popular in Marvel, especially in the Avengers part of Marvel. So
0: yeah, yeah, even as we record this tonight, this, uh, uh, sir, a Marvel server is doing a found family bingo. Oh, so the stuck Plus bingo is is a found family. If you want to head to that server and uh, join that, I believe it's an event forecast. It may or may not be, it's very new, so.
2: I mean, one could argue that some of the most popular, like a lot of the most popular fandoms are, have like at least some found family aspect to them. It's one of, I mean, that's the
0: basis of Harry Potter, almost yeah. entirely. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's the basis.
2: Yeah, so many things. So I think that, you know, it's one of those things that's so universal, it'd be sort of hard to, uh, but even though it's going into the winner's bracket, I do think it's going to maybe struggle a bit against some of the ones where they might be a little bit more specific, but people have pretty
0: intense feelings about them. So we'll see. We'll see we'll see i and i but i think clothes sharing will will handily beat whatever it's up against in the losers would be my guess because so it's think one it's of them pop back up again i think it'll pop back up because it is a it's not one of those kinks that like only applies for a sexual kink like it's also an emotional kink
2: yeah totally it could be gd so e, i
0: think like it's a little bit yeah like it's a little yeah. broader and yeah. and it tends to be in if you are in a ship with Tony Stark <laughs> him wearing someone else's clothes seems to be a theme
2: yeah definitely I mean he is smaller than a lot of the rest of the team who are unnaturally large so yeah. it does allow for long sleeves and other things that we seem to like um,
0: yeah
2: I think there's definitely like a there's a cozy factor. There's a bit of a self-insert factor. I don't know anyone who doesn't like wearing other people's clothes, especially if they're bigger than they are.
0: Um, It's a real sign of, it's a real sign of like tribe. Like,
2: I mean, there's a, a there's even a found family aspect to it, you know, like you could, you could have clothes sharing be totally non-romantic and just be a sign of the comfort that a group of people have. I I think we even talked about this last time. Um, Probably. Yeah, because it, it's so easy to combine. Like, I didn't get any prompts in my comments on this one, though, um, Hu Quinn said, I love found family. I think it's my favorite trope, <laughs> which I think is a sentiment shared by many people. Um,
0: yeah, it's funny because I don't yeah. even think of it as a trope because it is just the basis of my entire fandom experience, but it's totally a trope.
2: Like, it's, just, it's I, the foundation.
0: <laughs> it is, but it is like why I'm in fandom. So I always forget that it's a trope.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think that a lot of people feel that way, and I think that'll take it fairly far and trope off. But at the end of the day, some of the like more intense ones might take it home. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting, but it's That's definitely insane. it's definitely in the running.
0: Okay, so what it's was next? Not After an underdog. Our day poll.
2: So last weekend, when you didn't hear from us, but um, I heard from you. We had Aliens Made Them Do It versus Outsider POV. And I think these are both pretty niche things. Yeah,
0: they are They're very both pretty niche specific. I'm gonna, my guess is that Aliens still get though because Outsider POV is so hard to find good examples of.
2: Yes, and you would be correct in that it, Aliens took it. Aliens took it with 74.5% of the vote, which we're gonna call 75. And outsider POV took 25%. So, and yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I see a lot of like people who like outsider POV like it a lot. And I know a lot of people who like to use their OCs for that position, Um, but it is hard to do well. And I'm always impressed by people who do it well. Uh, And I think it is one of those things where it's like people who love it, love it a lot and want more of it, but it's not like, broadly popular in the same way that some other things are.
0: Yeah, there's only one off the top of my head that I think of that I really love and it's a it's a, like a cap it's like an um like a star-spangled quartet barbershop quartet fic mm-hmm. um where it's a coffee shop person who is concerned that Nat is cheating on all of her boyfriends. <laughs> um but and then I write a lot more OCs than um, well than you do Um, and I still very I'll put like a chapter in their POV but I would never do a whole thick in their POV.
2: Yeah it's really hard. I think the hardest part is also the heart what is the hardest part with epistolary which is like if you're writing romance as we do um, is the like climactic moment is hard to get across without the feelings of the people involved. So, Especially
0: in anything longer than a one-shot. Like I can yeah. see the fic I'm working on right now, I have two very, very strong, like strongly um, fleshed out OCs and writing a chapter, a whole chapter in one of their things about Steve or Tony would not be hard. <laughs> right. Um, but, and I could even see myself doing a bit of a spin-off and like them telling us their version of events of this thing. But um, actually that would be really, really that would be entertaining. I need That'd to check fun. with people who are reading it if they would enjoy that. <laughs> um But it, I couldn't imagine having the big moment between, because especially Stephen, Tony and uh, Stephen Bucky and Tony, like all the ships I write involve some level of idiots having to use their words. Right. So you need those and they don't, they're not going to use their words in front of anyone else. Yeah, that's the so. thing. It's like...
2: There's there's a lot of stru- questions to struggle with there. Like, how do we show what they're feeling, especially if they're not very good at using their words? How do we how do we uh, escape the potential for misunderst for the reader also missing understanding them in a negative way because they don't get to see how they're really feeling on the inside? And how do we show the climactic moment if it doesn't make sense for it to happen in front of other people? Yeah. So yeah, it's a challenge. I think. Think in terms of like full-on romances I may have only done one and it was from dummies POV and it was very cheeky um but it also meant all these things could happen in front of him because he's just oh, doing his dummies, robot yeah. stuff yeah um and we I also get sort of Jarvis. Jarvis's perspective plays a role as well yeah. um and it, I mean it was it was verging on cracky so <laughs> uh <laughs> fair And then the only other, it's interesting though that the other thing that's pinging that same kind of feeling for me is the piece that I did entirely epistolary. And I had a lot of people being like, how are you gonna, like, are you, they expected me to switch back into prose at the very end. And I was adamant to myself that I was gonna face this challenge and I was gonna find a way to do the entire thing in epistolary. And I did, and I'm actually really proud of how it turned out. But it it's definitely you have to kind of ask your readers to trust you a little bit, because in some ways I ended up having to sort of skip the moment and then find a way to still give people the feeling of having experienced that big climactic release moment. Um, And I hope I did. Uh, If anyone wants to check it out, it's called Between the Lines. But it was like it's like it was 297 chapters of building up to this this end. And needing to to find a what like in some ways the page and, and the and the pen becomes a bit of an outsider POV because there is no POV. All you get is what you see from the outside, which is how they're expressing themselves and not them on the inside. So yeah, it's a it's it's a challenge. And I'd never really thought about how similar epistolary is to outsider POV until right now, but now that I'm thinking about it definitely the same
0: vibe and I think that like text messages in particular like both of my epistolary fix are entirely text messages that's Mm -hmm. like a that's a combination of both because I don't I don't make it clear in either of the fix who was holding the phone yes and that's
2: a fascinating thing about epistolary is the like does it have a POV? I feel like we talked about this a long time ago, but maybe it wasn't on air. <laughs>
0: yeah. I can, I can never, people always ask me, did you talk about this on? And I'm like, guys, I don't remember when we start <laughs> and stuff sometimes I'm real sorry, <laughs> but yeah. Cause like one of my POVs is, a, is involves Nat and Nat and Bucky, Nat and Bucky. And it's told all through text messages. And I think you really get like Nat's nervousness And Nat is the primary driver. I don't switch to Bucky really at any point necessarily. It's entirely Nat's text messages with Pepper and then some group texts, but it definitely plays with POV in a way that I've never done in prose. And I don't think I'd even know how to.
2: Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, guys, if you're listening and you have an opinion, uh, about Outsider POV and Epistolary and and how you can make moments without being in people's heads, then that would be a super cool conversation. We would love to continue off air and then on air again in come talks maybe next time. (laughs) But to finish up Trope off, since that's what we're here for. um, So that is that Aliens Made Them Do It will be going on in winner's bracket. Outsider POV is dropping down to loser's bracket. We will see both of them again soon. And yesterday, Saturday, I posted this weekend's Trope Off. So it is still open. If you are listening to this on Sunday, February 28th, um, then you can still vote in Trope Off. And if you're not, then you can skip ahead to the next episode and find out who won. (laughs) But right now we have got Fix It versus Medieval slash Barbarian AU.
0: Well, this will be interesting because people who love medieval barbarian AUs really love them.
2: They do. They do. And I don't think that this is one we can combine simply because I feel like Fix-It inherently is at least to some degree canonical. And so unless... The only
0: way that you could could do it is like if you put Mizzy in Where where Our Restless Monsters Sleep because it was a Fix-It. That went to whatever planet is from Ragnarok and it became very barbarian-y. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it okay. was a gladiator competition. So like that's almost and that's a fix it.
2: Yeah, but that's verging it away from the AU factor. So like depends how much of a stickler you're gonna be about AU being part of. About the, the AU
0: for sure. But if you just want the like someone fights in a in a ring of some fashion, there's your combo.
2: Yeah. I think that's the closest we can get for sure.
0: Yeah. Though if yeah. anyone
2: else can think of uh, another way to make that happen, I always love the combo prompts. Um, but that's that's a tricky one to combine. But we'll have to see who wins. And on our next episode, you're going to hear about who won this one, who wins next weekend, and what we've got up to vote for the weekend after that when we post as well. But thanks for voting. Thanks for tuning in to tro- Trope Off. And uh, yeah, it's, it's heating up. I'm excited. <laughs>
4: Hi fandom, this is Only More Love, and I'm back with your latest events forecast, which was put together with a whole lot of love by Marie, or Hogwarts to Alexandria. Please lend me your ears for a few minutes so I can tell you a bit about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. And here's the usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. On to the fun stuff! The Marvel Reverse Bang is back, but different. With its new six-phases formula, the mods aim to find you a partner, no matter how rare your ship, by dividing the many parts of our fandom into their own phase, and therefore their own bang within the bang. For more information and detailed rules and dates, on each phase, please visit the blog. The mods of the Cap Ironman community have announced a new fest, the Universe Medley Fest. It takes the form of a prompt fest with each month dedicated to a different universe, as well as a remix challenge, and the opportunity to run your own mini challenge centered around the universe of the month. This fest aims to give us more Steve Tony content across the multiverse. It begins on March 15th. Please check out the Detailed Rules Master Post at the com. Reminder that the Shrunky Clunks Big Bang is open for artist signups until April 17th. Author signups just closed, so hang tight for the next stage. Signups for writers and artists just closed for the Stucky Big Bang, and claims will happen starting April 26th. The Loki Rare Pair Bang, a mixed bang with claims of both fic and art, is also still open for signups until April 1st. Rare Loki shippers, this one's for you. Check out the blog for the full schedule and rules. The Steggy Bingo Bash is open for late sign-ups until March 30th, so if you missed your chance to grab a card the first time, this is for you. Claims for the Black Characters Matter Prompt Fest have opened, and will stay open until April 2nd, with a minimum requirement of 500 words for fic, and it also welcomes a wide variety of mediums. All ships themes, and or kinks are allowed, as long as they focus on at least one Black Marvel character. And they also have a Discord server you can join. The mods for the Bucky Barnes Bingo have opened signups for the next round. They'll stay open until March 9th, with cards going out starting March 10th, and this round lasting until December 31st. Master posts will be due by January 7th. The Sam Wilson Fest starts tomorrow, March 1st. You have until March 12th to leave your best Sam prompts featuring any ship or gen content to then be claimed between March 13th and April 23rd. Posting will happen between April 24th and May 2nd. There are no minimums and all mediums are allowed. Have fun! Signups and fills for the following are also still ongoing. Cap I Am Bingo, Marvel Fluff Bingo, Marvel Holiday Fest, Cap I Am Com Remix Events and Bingo, STB, Steve, Tony, Bucky, Bingo, as well as the Lights on Park Avenue monthly prompts. And that's it for this episode, friends. This has been your events forecast. We hope you'll tune in again next time. Until then, be well and happy shipping.
0: And that is all for episode one of season two. Still strange to say. Thank you to Amanda for our darling cover art. And thank you to Pineapple Bread and Saber for joining our conversations.
2: If you're new to the podcast, please know that we adore hearing from you. And even though we skipped com Talks in this episode, it's one of our favorite parts of the show. You can comment on the website or hit us up on any social media with thoughts about this episode or any episode, your fandom experiences, a fandom secret to our anonymous fandom feelings, or any topic you'd like us to explore in further episodes.
0: Don't forget to follow up on Twitter and Tumblr and join our Discord server so that you can weigh in on those community conversations and keep up to date with news and announcements. You can head to our website or email us as well to submit your name as a cover artist or volunteer to be an interview guest. And finally, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Apple in particular really, really helps the algorithm and people finding us. But any pod platform you're listening on review and a rating really, really helps other fandom friends find us. And we just want to make sure that this represents as wide as possible. So please, if you have the time, we'd appreciate it. And huge thank
2: you to everyone who has done so already. We are so excited to see where season two
1: takes us. Thank
2: you for listening. And we will talk to you next time for episode two.
0: You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.